Welcome to the unofficial Unreal Engine podcast, where we talk about all things Unreal and also Canadian Putin. We're your hosts. My name is Alex Coulomb, and this is... <laughs> this is Jacob. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Uh, as always, I'm going to remind you to like, rate, subscribe, all that. We really appreciate your feedback. We've really been enjoying all the folks listening in. Uh, it's so great to 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 hear from you guys uh, when you when you reach out. So. Thank you. And we have an exciting episode today, don't we, Alex? We do. First and foremost, let's address the elephant in the room, or rather the uh, studio in the room for anyone who's watching the video feed. Where are we, Jacob? That's a great question. We are, in fact, back in the Light Twist studio. Big thanks to Vikas and the team there. It might not be our orange chairs, Alex, but I think this is a bit of an upgrade. I got to say this. This is pretty nice. It's a good reason to to check out the, the YouTube videos if you haven't already. It is. And what's going on behind us? Looks like we got some some guitars. Are we going to have a music show here? Oh, we'll we'll find out. As it turns out, we got a special guest with us today. What? You rising at it. We got to, I don't know. We, we didn't come up with a keyword. There he is. Yeah, we should have. Uh... <laughs> oh, hey, I was just hiding under the table for like a really long time wondering like, is, yeah, is there a cue? It, it was a long prep period. He was there for a while. Uh, we feel bad about it, but not that bad. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful for to be on the walk. show, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks and before we give a, a proper introduction, um, part and parcel with our show is to first ask a series of questions. Take it away, Jacob. Yeah. Uh, essentially, what this is going to be some word associations. So what I'm going to do is going to say a word and just going to, you know, speak to the first thing that comes in your head. It doesn't have to be a one word answer, but it has to be a short answer. And it should be fairly straightforward. All right. All right. First word. Home. Begins. <laughs> Work. Play. Food. People. Travel. Fun. Drink. Party. <laughs> Unreal Engine. Unity. Ooh. Wow. The first <laughs> unity response. The, the first person who took that in, 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 you know, a competitive sense. I like that. Well, Alex, would, would you like to actually introduce our, our special guest here today? Yes. Very excited to have David Liu on the show. David's a dear friend who I've known for a number of years now. Uh, how many years exactly? I could not tell you. Um, but he has an incredible background of so many different um, amazing industries and companies and specialties and also just an all around nice guy. Um, David, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, man, guys, it's such a pleasure and privilege to be on the show with both of you. It's like I've been listening to your shows for so long. It's just weird that now I am actually here in person. Um, so I've worked in across. I started as a filmmaker and went into game design and went into tech. And before I knew it, I was leading a VR team at a pub, you know, cable company and and that was a lot of fun i think that's what we met for the first time alex and and after that did a lot of startupy things and and now i'm in a brief career break so that's given me a lot of time to sort of like explore um all all manner of things that we can definitely talk about that also explains why we could you know go on a little jaunt um that we might actually talk more about soon oh, oh we will I, and before we get there i i gotta ask you know, this is the Unreal Engine podcast. Tell, tell us a little bit about your background <laughs> and uh, 
relationship to Unreal <laughs> or Epic Games or anything. What's your way. relationship to Unreal? Apparently, it's very complicated. You know, it is complicated. Look, look, I, I, I love Unreal. I think Unreal does a lot of amazing things that Unity can't do very well. Um, it is, it is still probably like my thirty percent game engine that I, I use on a, on, on, a, on a regular basis. Sorry, guys, but. Let's put it this way. Unreal Engine 5 is incredible and is something that uh, I think is poised to, 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 to change game development in many, many ways. I still have, have nothing but extreme respect for, for, for the Roblox. Sorry, not Roblox. Fortnite. Whoops. Cut that out. <laughs> wow. I think you got to kick him out, Alex. I, I the the Fortnite game creator uh, situation that they have there. So, look, I've used it. I like, I like it. Um, I have to admit I'm more of a Unity guy. But hey, Unreal Engine's great. Yeah. And to be fair, a lot of the incredible work I've seen David do has been with volumetric capture. And I'll admit that when it comes to um, processing and using volumetric capture, I often still will be in Unity as well. So, hey, I get it. Wow. Come clean, Alex. This is, this is <laughs> quite the episode so far. Exactly. I this never thought like, I hear Alex say that. Uh, <laughs> we're at confession already. Wow. Well, yeah, and for anyone who uh, isn't going to bother to look up David directly, um, at least search on Steam for uh, Aeronaut. It's a very impressive volumetric music video uh, with Billy Corrigan, a, a really impressive piece of work that still holds up all these years later <laughs> since well, the advent of volumetric capture. <laughs> that's really nice of you to say, Alex. Man, that's 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 a story we can get into as well. But um, I, all, all credit goes out to the team that I worked with. Um, but basically, it was you know we volumetrically captured Billy Corrigan and made a um, a, an attractive music experience that anyone can try with a with a tethered VR headset. Don't try it. <laughs> so, how did you get into just AR VR in general? I, I feel like everyone kind of has a story there. Yeah, oh man, that's a, that's that's a. I have a long answer and a short answer. I'll give it a short answer. Basically, when, when, when I was trained as a filmmaker, so I made ads for TV for quite a while, and when I made the pivot to game development. Um, I also happened to be doing a lot of VR stuff. So I, I was at a grad, you know, I was at Carnegie Mellon University, which was really infamous or famous for having a pretty robust VR department. So we get to play with like the pre-DK1 stuff. We played with the DK1 stuff as well. And I, I imagine build a few things on that as well. So so when when an opportunity came for me to, so I was like full on game development, right? But then there was this opportunity to, to join an innovation lab in New York with Viacom. Um, I took it. Because they're like they're looking for someone who could meld the world of film and the world of games and and figure out what VR is and and um, I was just very privileged to be able to sort of do that. I was just in the right place at the right time, right? So so one thing led to another. I, I started a team with with Rob Ruffler. Um, you guys might have heard him have heard of him as well. My business partner at Viacom, but both of us basically created a department and and, and ran it for a couple of years. And through that, we met lots of industry friends, including Alex here. Yeah, Rob is great. And I have to say, I'm extremely jealous of David and his backstory. Um, when I was a kid, I saw this incredible lecture series by a gentleman by the name of Randy Pausch called The Last Lecture Series about this program at Carnegie Mellon that he'd helped develop, which involved um, you know, a lot of different disciplines coming together to build virtual worlds. Um, I believe the uh, group now is called the Entertainment Technology Center. Is that right, David? That is right, sir. So that is my alma mater. Like that, 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 that. <laughs> and that's all that matters. 
uh, I, I really wanted to be part of that program. And then when it came to applying to colleges, um, I saw that Carnegie Mellon required a physics SAT too. And I was like, well, it is too late for me to do that. <laughs> so I didn't even apply, but uh, I've always been jealous of uh, uh, anyone who's gotten to go through that program. I remember a few um, of the VR experiences that came out of Carnegie Mellon early. Did, were, were there notable uh i remember one that was a spy like a uh it's like a spy experience maybe that was oh, maybe about shell of, games. Um, yeah shell games and and the vr uh like james bond escape the room kind of stuff i expect you to die yeah it's well really, i I, I, I remember that but there was an earlier one that was very much like a student project i'll i'll figure it out while we're talking <laughs> oh man these are the weird I'll... associations that come out of my head while we're that's super exciting for me to hear, though. I think I know what you're talking about. The name escapes me, but um, there were a lot of really awesome VR things that came out of the, the department um, that we were in. Like, I think I was like, for me, I was like literally year two of all the VR projects that came out of ETC. So I wonder, I wonder what that project is. Mm. David, are you allowed to say anything about your time in electronic arts? Yeah, I mean, um, very briefly, I don't want to bore you guys to death, but basically I worked on a, 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 a game that oh, some okay. of you might play called Sims 4. Um, so I helped ship that. Um, I joined basically as part of the production team to get it out the door, right? So I was there for a couple of months and helped the team sort of get, get it to the very end. I was the guy in charge of a lot of bad puns. Um, the garden. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was, uh, paintings, collections, gardening, cooking. Um, I still remember that. Like, it was a lot of fun. It was, it's a really fun crew. Um, and honestly, if it weren't for Viacom, I'd probably still want to be working there. But, you know, life works in strange ways. Jacob, I don't know if you played The Sims when you were a kid, but for me, it, w it was seminal in my interest in architecture because it basically was BIM. It was like, instead of drawing two lines and saying, this is a wall, it's like, no, 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 you're actually going to place a wall and place a door and like construct the house in this more smart modeling kind of way that has become standard now in the architecture and construction industry. Uh, yeah. But at the time of Sims 1 was, you know, not how any of that was done. I will say I, I never got a chance to play Sims. I never really got into it. Um, but I will say that I loved games, uh, um, you know, like it to, to this degree you're talking about, like, you know, the roller coaster tycoons of the world. Oh, so where good. You're building those. And, and roller coaster tycoon has, an, uh, I think we've already mentioned this, like it has one of these crazy programming backstories that is just, insane to talk about is it's maybe out of scope here but um i i love those games um and, and i think they were a precursor to a lot of the kind of you know uh, um build your world adventures that we see today in the sense that there's a lot of interesting dynamics and, and kind of just the replayability idea i think really existed as a result of, of games that let you kind of build your own little worlds and exist in them um which I think we take for granted today, maybe. Totally. Bit. Like, I think back in the day, like the, 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 the game studio made uh, The Sims called Maxis, the original game studio. The, oh, their, yeah. their slogan was electronic toys, right? <laughs> and for me, like that was such a big thing because that exemplified all the things we're making. SimCity, Cement, SimEarth. Like they were, they were not really games in traditional sense in that there was a goal. You, you, you just played around with it. So I'm glad other game studios have taken that further. I, 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 I love the term electronic toys. Yeah. How do you feel about like um, developing a game like Sims 4 where you release it and then you 
inevitably you have to find out all the weird things people are doing in the game you've just built. Like, is there, uh, especially in the games like game like Sim Sims Four? I've seen so many wacky interpretations of how to play that game that I mm-hmm. I, I find it very fascinating. I mean, man, like I, I I can't take any credit for the 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 emergence and the, and the possibility space of what The Sims Four is. Like, I joined fairly late in the in in, uh, in, in the project, but already like when i when i joined like they were they would <laughs> they would they were already showing me like david check out these things that all our players are doing with it right so <laughs> so like the, the, the amazing thing about about electronic toys about sim games about you know is, is that it's 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 emergent a lot of emergent systems allow you to do all sorts of crazy crazy things with it that the game designers probably never really intended to like um there was literally a player i think who we followed uh, on the team or we, we sort of watched who, who would build the most architecturally unsound houses, right? Just to try to break the game. And, and that is interesting for us as game developers to see because it's like, what well, A, we need to make sure the pathfinding and everything works. But also it just, it's just cool. Like this is someone who wanted to break the game, but yeah. also have fun with it. And, and our, that's our definition, our definition of having fun as well. Like you, you, you're testing the systems and limits of what the game can do. Yeah, I, I, I saw a, um, along those lines, I saw... Um, Man, I'm gonna forget the name of the game. Um, it's like uh, it's, it's it's like an eight bit style, um, you know, kind of like you build your uh, like home. I man, I, I man, I'm doing terrible tonight in terms of recall. <laughs> this is not good. But I saw someone had built a full computer in it that could play Doom. <laughs> oh, and, that, and like. That's been done before in like Minecraft and stuff like that, right? Like it is whatever, right? But they had f- the the team that was building this found out that it was not going to be possible with like the latency between certain components. So they had to go and write a mod to improve the response time of like their transistors by some <laughs> enormous factor. So like they went back and modified the game to enable this weird edge case that they had just found, which was like building a, a, you know, basic graphics processor in, in this game. I, I just find that kind of stuff. A lot. That's and insane, man. Yeah. David, can you recall a time where um, something important needed to change in the game because of what had happened with QA testing and that kind of thing? Hmm. That's a really good question. I, while you think about that for a second, um, did you hear the joke about the QA tester? No, tell me. QA tester walks into a bar, orders a beer, orders 9,999 beers, orders <laughs> zero beers, orders negative one beer, <laughs> orders a lizard, orders... <laughs> <laughs> Select our drop table. <laughs> Alex, I, I, wish, I wish I have an easy and short answer for you to that question, but, but, but there, 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 are loads of, there are loads of examples that come to my head. None of them are, are particularly interesting because man qa testing is also extremely highly underrated yeah. like the guys who, who do it they they're the ones who will basically literally that so so, so they would solve like okay we realize that, that, that this um if you store 99 uh items in your in, in in your kit and you get one more you res- it resets to zero i mean this bug didn't actually happen but that's the kind of stuff they would find right and be like oh crap okay so there's this problem there, the, the integer value there so that we need to go fix that not particularly exciting but game breaking Right. Yeah. yeah. Important. <laughs> Have you guys heard of? Uh, I, I saw. Man, I, I'm just full of random facts tonight. I saw recently a video too about um, Valve, 
and this was not this was new to me. I, I I'm not all that familiar with with Valve's process. I, I've never met someone who's worked at Valve. I don't think I probably have, <laughs> but um, I learned about their philosophy around testing and QA. And maybe David, you you know, um, but I I didn't realize how insane they are about testing, um, but. Apparently, this is something that they're very passionate about and that they test every single iteration as quickly as possible, as often as possible. And I, I didn't realize about like, for example, uh, Portal, which was one of my favorite games. So good. Amazing. So they acquired this like student group, right, who built this uh, other game. I can't remember the name of it. And it was like Portal, but it was essentially like a horror game. It was kind of more in the style of like Doom and Quake and stuff like that. I believe it had all these like very narbacular drop. I think that was the name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got it. Um, It was full of all these very grungy textures, stuff like that. And immediately... Yeah. And they started populating the world. They started building more levels as they, you know, they got acquired and they had to build the game. And then they found that like people were so distracted by like the ambiance and the stuff going on on the walls and stuff like that, that they were ignoring pieces of like these puzzles they were building and they scrapped the whole thing and started over like with this white box. And all of a sudden everyone was all, all, you know, totally capable of focusing in on the, yeah, you know, on the game. And I also remember the story about like the, the smooth jazz joke at the beginning being like, we tested this with 10 different demographics and the smooth jazz joke at the beginning of portal one was such a killer that we had to keep it in, <laughs> which I just find hilarious, but. Great. David, tell us um, something that you think a lot of people probably don't understand about game development or product development or experience development, anything in that wheelhouse. Oh gosh, uh, man! Like, how much time do we have? I feel like this is a this <laughs> is a four-hour-long. Want to get to uh, the Star Wars thing? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Like, okay, <sighs> okay. One of the things that I learned that you quickly have to unlearn when you come from film is is the idea of um, um, building to spec, right? Or like waterfall, right? I think I think I'm sure a lot of your viewers already know about this, but like game development is is very iterative. Um, so is product development, honestly. You, 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 the, the, the common thing you hear is to fail fast to find the fun. And, and that is really, really true. And it's something that I think um, can be taken to extremes, to be clear. But I think a, a nice medium is sort of like balancing, balancing, um, quickly learning what is fun and what, what resonates with, with, with your guests and, 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 and how much it costs to do that, right? Yeah. So. Definitely lots more to say about that. We have to, only 30 seconds and I definitely went over already. But <laughs> man, this is a big bugbear of mine to talk about. I, I, I got to ask though, how do you define fun there? Like how do you measure that in an analytical process? Because it sounds like you got to do a bit of both, right? Yeah, so play testing is huge. So um, getting people on site and to do really starting with qualitative test, play testing. So you just literally get them to play the game or the prototype and watch them and then ask play testing questions after that. It's like a common practice to do. So yeah. let's say you have a, you know, a very early prototype of a game and you just invite four or five people to, to, your, to your, usually you start with like your internal team members or like the, the folks next door and you just see how they react to it. 
And a lot of it is very qualitative. A lot of it is then questions like, oh, what do you think just played? Oh, um, would you recommend this to, 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 to a friend? Things like that. And, and sort of getting their sense of, of what resonated with them. At some point, you need to start looking at like quantitative stuff. So that's when like, you know, you probably get into alpha. You can send it out to like a closed developer group and closed beta group and so, you know, a closed alpha group and so on. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I feel like this is definitely a can of worms. <laughs> I'm, I was, I, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I, I will say though, we do have a big topic to, to, to talk about today. So I, I, I can see Alex's excitement bubbling up. We, we gotta, we gotta swing it over. <laughs> and I see his head bobbing. I'm like, all right, Alex wants to talk about this. Yeah. And I think everything we're talking about so far will lead uh, pretty actually well into this larger discussion. Um, let's see, how do we set this up? So let's rewind a little bit. Um, the next stage, it was this incredible event that I touched briefly on in the podcast. It was happening out in Los Angeles uh, a little over a month ago. And uh, as part of that, we had heard at some point that this event, this amazing thing over in Florida called Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser was going to close. And uh, the leader of No Proscenium, one Noah Nelson, really, really wanted to go to this and it kind of that he was not going to be able to go. And a lot of incredible folks in the Pristine community rallied together to try to make sure that he could go. Um, him, Catherine Yu, Nicholas Fortuno, Jess Crane, all these really cool people got to go. They had an amazing experience. And I was so excited to hear about what that experience was going to be. Because uh, I, I also assumed, like, I'm never going to get to go see this thing, but I will live vicarious through, uh, vicariously through Noah and Nelson and, uh, and hear about this. Uh, and that'll be great and good enough for me. But then... Um, one day on uh, Twitter or, or X, as I guess it's called now, Ugh. David had pinged our, our little group. And uh, David, what did you say? <laughs> so I was like, hey, does anybody want to go to Galactic Star Cruiser? So so building off that story, I mean, basically, so we're all friends with Catherine Yu. And, and, and she was like trying to find ways for us to go, Alex. And, and, and basically, she, she was like, all right, David, I'm going to do everything it takes to make sure you, you go. Right. So, so, so through some magic and various discord groups she, she managed to get tickets or she managed to find tickets and slots which i immediately jumped to take like literally i was like out with i was having breakfast with my wife and i got this call from her Catherine you i was like uh oh and she and I picked up the phone and she was like buy tickets now buy tickets now so i was like oh crap <laughs> so i run to my computer and lo and behold tickets were on sale i called the, the hotline and before i knew it like we got the tickets which is amazing Never thought it would happen. I was in shock. The, the cast member on the other line was like laughing away at how gobsmacked I was. Um, <laughs> the great news is after that, I was like, okay, I can't go alone. I need to go with friends. And who better to go with than, than, than my, 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 my little tight-knit circle of uh, experienced designer friends. Uh, we have a little group, um, DM group that we have on Twitter, Alex. So I was just like, all right, friends. I have tickets. Let's do it. And, and the funny thing is that within five minutes, I think Alex was like, holy <laughs> right like and i was like yes is that a yes and then before we knew it like i think we got a nice group going and then we were going to go like the star cruiser Pretty yeah good. Uh, i was really thrilled to be able to use this as a way to uh celebrate some colleagues who have been stationed over in austin texas for a while and uh we're finally going to be able to leave and i think like oh you know one of them's coming back to new york city one of them's going to arizona i want to do a celebration with both of them that's probably not going to happen but this became an became an opportunity to get both of them into one place but then also 
uh, bring another colleague who none of us had met in person before. And uh, David very kindly allowed um, this event to be him plus a bunch of people from my company. Allowed? I was more, it's more like a privilege, man. It was such a blast. <laughs> It was so cool. Your, your, your colleagues. I mean, they're, they're, it's funny, like the, the, the experience transforms the, the group dynamics a little bit. Like I went in as like total strangers, like with, with, with the exception of you and Kevin, who is also part of like, you know, a little circle. Like I didn't know anyone, the other two folks, right. But by the end of the three days, like, I was like, we are all best friends. We are, <laughs> we, we, we have gone through a lot together. We're, the three in a, three days felt like three years Agreed. or something. Yeah. And David, all right. All right. Much in the it, it, wait, wait, wait. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We, we, we got to stop this because a, I'm very jealous. This, this sounds pretty <laughs> awesome, but we got to start from the beginning. All right. Cause the, if you're, if you're gonna, you know, evoke this emotion where I, I now know I'm not going to go. Right. <laughs> you got to start at the beginning and I got to live vicariously guys. All right. You, you got to start. What was it like? All right. You, you, you're, you're, you're flying in, you get to the Disney's doorstep. What's going on. Right. So we all uh, came in on, on different flights, uh, different places. There were weather concerns. I think a lot of us thought our flights might be uh, potentially canceled. Uh, instead we ended up with delays. Um, and by the way, like for anyone who's like, what are they even talking about right now? I'm tempted to be like, why don't we describe what this thing is? But I'm also tempted to be like, let's just like go through the whole thing and our listeners can decide what it, what exactly this is. But maybe if you don't already know what Galactic Star Cruiser is, don't Google it yet. Like, let us kind of take you through a journey and uh, and see it for yourselves. Um, David, you guys arrived first. So why don't you talk about your first impressions and I'll talk about us in the second group. Great, great segue. Um, before I go there, I want to ask how deep into spoiler territory should we get into for your listeners? I I think we go all the way. Yeah. In okay. the sense that we should we should say out loud when there are spoilers. But given that it is closing, and what what date is it closing? Like September September thirtieth. Um, right. If you are one of the lucky people who will be going between now and the end of September. You can leave, right? <laughs> I, 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 no, you you can leave. Everyone else, you can stay and, and we can hear the full story. Sounds good to me. All right. So we're going to go full spoiler territory. Spoiler alert for everyone listening. We're going to go full spoiler about an entire experience we went through with Galactic Star Cruiser. Here we go. Um, here we go. So um, I got in and, and I was with Kevin. So we met the, at the airport because our flight got in about the same time. Rather, Kevin was already at the airport. So, so we, 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 we took an Uber down to the property, which is not in Disney World itself. It's actually like somewhere in the periphery of Hollywood Studios, if you know the sort of geography of the area. So it was like already kind of interesting because there was a lot of security like i think there were like two boom gates or something like that that we had to go through like there's a big sign this is galactic star wars galactic star cruiser went through that and then and that's what to roll our windows down at one of the boom gates and and the folks are already in character like has some already in character like oh are you joining today's voyage i'm like oh voyage yeah yeah we're here for voyage okay well sir what's your what's your name and so so we get the name and you're like all right checks out and then went through and already like there was like music playing and 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 like and it was like super white glove like i mean i guess you're paying a lot of money for this and i guess this experience is like exactly like going on a cruise so we unloaded our stuff and you had all the, all the cast members who were like proper bellboys who sort of 
brought your luggage to one side and, and you, they, they know who you were. You got, you got sort of asked to join a line. And basically you're at, imagine you're at this sort of like very brutalist style term, terminal. Oh, hey, that's a picture of us. Look at that. So it's me and Kevin. So two super, super brutal. It's like, you know, we were, we, they took our bags away from us. They quickly gave us our magic bands, what they call M bands, because this is in the Star Wars universe. So that little thing in the white thing you see in my hand, and that's 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 the M band. And they're like, take a picture, and this is a picture. And then very quickly after that, like there's a line, a bit of a wait because it's extremely warm. Like you know, they gave us frozen grapes and 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 cold water. But the entire experience was like super smooth, super super awesome. I felt like it's you know VIP, which I guess is is the whole point. And then we went in. Um, <laughs> uh, with with and then yeah, surrounded surrounding us already with people in costumes and 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 Kevin and I with costumes we were totally not changed. We we're just like okay, we're gonna stick out for a little bit. But then you go down this corridor, which you see in the photographs here. So we're all like in line to board the shuttle, right? And on this shuttle, we'll be taken up into the Halcyon, which is the 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 um the 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 Chandrillion cruise liner. That we would have to go so we entered it this is it so this is the the so we eventually entered the the, the docking area but before you before we went to this area though there was this really cool part where there was an actual safety briefing right so we had a screen that explained to us this is a real alarm right this is when this is not a story so 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 please know this because in case of a real emergency this is it man you you got pictures of everything so this 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 video basically explain what a real emergency was and what a fake emergency was because there were differences between the two because <laughs> spoiler alert, I guess for people who are watching it, there will be fake emergencies, which are like story events that we would get to once you're on board. So once we passed this, 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 this safety video, we got into that, 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 that launch pod and it was super diegetic. Like it was, it was an elevator it was themed to be a really, really cool launch pod. And, and, and the launch pod would like lift off on the planet. Like we could feel a little bit of G-force and the wind, there are proper windows outside where you see yourself blast into space. And then all these cargo pods then come over and sort of pull wow. you to the Halcyon. And it's, all right, I got some questions already. We get, we got applause. Cause this is, this is pretty cool. So, how did they handle, for example, like, you know, you, you come with your phone, you come with all this other stuff. I'm curious where like the level of like, are we already at the point where the level of immersion has kicked up or are we kind of easing into it a little bit here? So, yeah. So they did a really good job making sure that your phone was part of the environment. So you had to download a data pad app, which allowed you to interact with your environment via an app on your phone. Right. So. So they they brought your phone into the experience as well. That's but basically, brilliant. at this point, it was like you're full full immersion. Like, I mean, look at this picture, man. Like, we were on technically really just in an elevator, but you would. She is purple. She is bright purple. Yeah, pe people yeah. were hardcore dressing up. Like, we had costumes, but we were like, with the exception of Alex, because his costumes were awesome. Uh, the rest of us were kind of like just sort of like you know, drapey clothes that we call Star Wars. I, I thought they like gave you costumes. Is that not true? You gotta you gotta show up in in your Jedi robes and everything. Exactly. There were so many people who want to be Jedi's, and there'd be like Jedi robes and Sith people, and so on and so forth. But 
<laughs> so it's no. just a bunch of like <laughs> fake Palpatines running around all the, <laughs> the entire time. Yeah, I, I, I actually, and we might be getting ahead of ourselves. Like I always, I wondered what the cast members would do with like the fake Palpatines and the fake stormtroopers you have around. And the, the reality is to just ignore yeah. the fact that you have those costumes. Okay, so, okay. We, we are getting ahead of ourselves. All right. You're, you rode the elevator up. You, you got to the first floor. Alex, let's pass over to you. What, what was <laughs> your mean, experience here? That, at the nothing really important to say yet, except, you know, we were about an hour behind. So this is uh, Dante and Marshall and uh, myself. And we had that same experience kind of getting through. And then um, we met up in our uh, room quickly. Here's uh, David in the amazing bunk beds like i loved how incredibly diegetic the the rooms felt no hotel room has ever felt as star warsy as these rooms and i want to put it out there that little cubby hole called a bunk bed is extremely comfortable like it looks small but it's kind of spacious i i really like really? sleeping in it because that was the big and again we're getting ahead of ourselves here but the biggest critiques I heard of the Star Cruiser were like, okay, you're spending a lot of money here. There's no windows. Like, I, I think it very much ex had people came into it with different expectations, right? But actually, maybe that's a good question. What were your expectations going into this? Yeah, I, 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 well, I think for, I speak for myself, but I, I had a feeling that our party was sort of like, we, we, we were coming in with the, the lens of designers. Like we, we, we have done a little bit of immersive design, so we know what to look for. So I think we had to compartmentalize the side of us and sort of try to be a guest and a consumer as well. Um, so that's so a complex mindset, I guess, or, 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 or frame of mind that we had to go into when we, when we entered the ship. But the short answer, I guess, is like, you know, we, we expected, we were open to everything. Like I, I think we were sort of tempered down what this could be well, while knowing that we paid like a total of 7.5 grand total for this, which is yeah. a shitload of money. Excuse my French, but man. So it's like, it's gotta be at least a cruise or better. I guess is one simple way of saying it. Wow. Yeah, just a little, yeah, Alex, your, what, what were, what was your expectation like? Uh, you know, I really went in pretty blind. Like I'd heard a few things about this. Um, I had seen a GDC talk last year um, that gone into great detail about the narrative structure of this. I did my best to forget as much of that as possible. Um, I was expecting an immersive theater experience that was going to feel like it was in the Star Wars universe. And I assumed it was maybe going to be a little bit more Star Warsy than my taste because i'm a medium star wars fan not a huge star wars fan and uh, i can already tell you like it was perfect it was like everything about it was exactly to my taste and uh and quite wonderful um the I thing you did a really good job basically yeah. building for like both hardcore fans and people who knew barely anything about star wars like it was a space cruise with a layer of star wars over it really so that all right all right yeah, so okay. immersive theater and cruise ship. That, those are kind of the two pillars to keep in mind. I, I didn't realize how, because how, you guys have mentioned cruise ship now a couple of times. I didn't realize how this was positioned as a replacement for a normal cruise. Do you think that's accurate in the sense that like they were trying to say, hey, you could go on a you know, carnival or you could go here. And is that how they price this thing? Like, I, I don't know. It, it's interesting. It's than a lot of like mid-tier cruises, I would say, for the number of nights you're there. So I think the the theme, the, the whole expectation of setting up as a cruise both helped and hurt it in some ways. Like the the price for value. So, so 
it's not the size of an actual cruise ship, right? You're not going to be able to have a pool. You're not going to be able to see the sun. You're not going to go on shore excursions. Through, well, no, that's not true. You do have one shore excursion to Batu. So I guess they, they work with the framework of the cruise. I know a lot of criticisms against it were like, oh, this is not exactly like a cruise because we're all, we only have a few rooms to go to. And, and the food, while fantastic, is, 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 is not, you know, it's not like a cruise meal. Although, again, I'll stress, it is fantastic. The dining was exquisite. Okay. So good. All right. We're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. The Bantham eats you, so good. You're in the lobby. What happened? So, well, let, let's think about the structure a little bit. So you can see a little bit of the, uh, the schedule here for day one. Um, from one o'clock to uh, pretty much four, it was kind of like everyone getting settled in, um, getting That's your crunchy. Right. You're gonna have to read that. Yeah, let me try yeah, for me. it there. Um, come on, come on, Google. Right. A little better. <laughs> Close enough. Um, yeah, so we all had to kind of settle and eat some food, say hi to, to each other, decide what kind of characters we were gonna have. Um, I was Daro Schiff. I was in the Narkina Five um, prison uniform. Um, I'd been. So good. Uh, imprisoned for uh, pushing two stormtroopers off a bridge that had no railing. I mean, it wasn't my fault. I should have been Star Wars OSHA involved to make sure this kind of thing didn't happen. And I had escaped, but whenever someone from the First Order asked me, I said I had served my time and had uh, made it over there. But it was a great opportunity to just kind of get your bearings on everything. Uh, and then we had ship muster um, in the lobby. David, what happened during muster? So they, this is really clever. So a ship muster, for those of you who haven't been on cruise ships, is basically a, 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 something part of the course, right? Like it's an event where you, in an event of an emergency on a cruise ship, these are the stations you report to. But these are also narrative devices for you to sort of get to the main lobby atrium area because an event will be happening. So the way they structured this, and not to get too deep into the design of this, unless we want to, is that they, they, they have like main story events in this huge giant atrium. This is like essentially the, the closest thing you have to like a stage for the performers, as well as a place for us to congregate. So ship muster was the first agenda. And that's when the first arc of the whole story sort of kicks off. So prior to all that was everything Alex said, was exploration was having lunch, was getting into costume, was sort of getting to know who our characters were. I was Chumba Wamba and, and I'm shocked no one got it. So I guess that totally horribly ages me. Um, <laughs> Chumba Wamba from, from, from Endor's Moon. I was an Ewok smuggler. But anyway, like, it, you know, it's, it, it was, it was, they did a really good job sort of using the ship muster as one of the, you know, devices to get us there. So what was the story? I, we're spoiling things here. We, we got to start the story. Breaks so it's my heart the, to sit. Yeah. The 175th Sorry, go ahead. anniversary of the, uh, the ship, right? I think that's right. And uh, the ship has all sorts of history. It's allegedly where um, uh, Han Solo and, and Leia had like their honeymoon and you can even find like their initials scratched into a pipe, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and so there's, first of all, just the setting itself has a certain amount of history. And in theory, we think that we're on just kind of a nice little cruise ship where we'll go to Batu on the next day and everything's going to go well. But then David, someone unexpected arrives. Who comes when we... Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> so there was an alarm at some point later in the day, uh, during, actually during muster itself. And they introduce uh, the First Order Lieutenant, Lieutenant Croy. Bum, bum, bum. So he comes in with, 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 with flanked by two stormtroopers. And they're basically like, well, you suspect that there are like sympathizers for the resistance here or something like that. You know, I can't do a British accent. But, but basically, <laughs> like, that, 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 it's, that, 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 
the story kicks off. So it's no longer just a cruise now. It's heavily hinted that there are resistance sympathizers and the First Order is on it, right? So they do a really good job of introducing you to the main cast of characters here. In addition to Lieutenant Croy from the First Order, um, certain we, we, meet, we meet the cruise director, Lenka Bach, who's clearly a resistance sympathizer. They made that super clear to you. There is also... Because uh, <laughs> there are like kids on board and they want to make sure the kids get it. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're really on the nose about this, but it did not matter because I think these things need to be explained really clearly. Um, they also introduce like the smuggler people. So basically you had a celebrity on board. She wasn't there yet. Uh, but Gaia is a famous singer. Uh, Twilight singer and 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 her manager though was there. Um, this guy called Wraith Cole. So he's just suave, dashing, handsome Han Solo's type. He's he he's definitely dressed in like a smuggler guard, but he's also the manager for Gaia. So you meet all these, you know, muster. You, you meet all these wonderful characters, and and instantly, I guess we know. Oh, these are the tracks you can follow, and if you follow them, and the, the minute muster ends, you can sort of pick your side. Um, how to find a shot of Wraith. <laughs> Wait, so, so who is this that, that we're seeing here? Yeah, so this is uh, Wraith Cole, the, the manager for Gaia. And, uh, and, that, okay. and, and yeah, so he, he, he basically, so not to get ahead of ourselves as well, but the cast mm-hmm. members, they do an amazing job trying to remember your name. And, it, and, and I guess like Chumbawamba was harder to remember than Dante. Dante, who's next uh, party here, basically everyone remembered his name. So, so um, I can remember this very scene where basically, like, uh, Wraith is coming by. Dante, I can't wait to see you tomorrow. We're going to work together, right? And he would basically do that sort of thing. That's cool. All right. And so, uh, yeah, the, the 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 this first narrative moment, right? Like, seems like it kind of snaps you into the story. And you're saying that there, there are these paths. When you, what do you mean by that? Like, are there like rooms you follow? Is there conversation? Like, do you talk to the cast members to kind of activate those story paths? Is that kind of how that works? Absolutely. Um, Alex, do you want to take this one? Yeah. So um, there was something I think quite lovely about the way this was structured. I've done a lot of immersive theater experiences before where you can feel that the performers are a little bit overwhelmed because they need to try to not only spend meaningful time with everyone who's there, but they need to perform certain functions. They have to give everyone a certain mission or give 10 people this mission, 10 people this mission. And I think the experience very intelligently offloads a lot of that to the app. So Um, What that means is that usually when you are speaking to one of the cast members, you are having a much more unique, special experience that may lead to a side mission or something like that. You do build up what's called familiarity um, with each of the uh, primary characters, which is reflected in your app. But when it comes to actually choosing your path and um, reflecting different missions, most of that happens inside of the app. Now, the video I was just showing, this was with um, Lieutenant Croy of the First Order. And at the beginning, he kind of made it clear, like anyone who is kind of interested in what I have to say about peace and order in the galaxy, like come over here. And then he scanned all of our little magic bands, which I think- uh, was- I was about to ask, like, how are you well, registering the familiarity? So they're, they're scanning the, the NFC chips in your magic band. Yeah, which, but by the way, if, for, for those who haven't been to Disney recently, that's how you pay for stuff in Disney World. 
is you walk around and you spend like twenty dollars everywhere by tapping your bracelet. But you're saying that this is how you're registering your kind of uh, interest in a specific topic. That's that's fascinating. I want to throw it out there that in addition to scanning your M bands, there's some there's definitely a proximity sensor with your M bands as well because yeah. there were many times where I just hung around in the same approximate area as Wraith Cole, the smuggler guy, right? And immediately my app knew. Right. And, 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 and so like there were, there were times that just because we're in the same room, our familiarity would go up. So this is exactly the same tech. If you, if you've gone to Disney world, where like, if you sit down in one of the dining restaurants, the waiters know exactly where to, the servers know exactly where to deliver your food. It's, it's just magical. And, and I'm glad they used yeah. it in this experience. I bet they use, um, and, and I will nerd out a little bit about this because this is unreal engine podcast and, <laughs> and yeah, unofficial unreal engine podcast. And, um, you know, we have to talk a little tech here. But this is not similar to what we get now with um, the directional NFC that we get in yeah. our phones, right? I can't I remember sure. the name of this, right? But I'm assuming it's a similar thing where you can detect not only, you know, when it's close to something, but the orientation of it, which is very tricky because it, in, in reality, like, you know, most, most ways that you detect the direction and position of things as all of the people on this call know, because they are into VR and AR and stuff like that is you got to triangulate it in some way. Either you could do there's inside out and slam, which is all kind of more AI based. And and that's maybe a little different and that's not relevant here, but everything else is about triangulating your position in some way, shape or form to figure out where you are and what, you know, direction you're facing. Uh, NFC, the directional NFC works because the device has itself a gyroscope and can position itself relative to, um, you know, other objects. And then you also have things like, uh, um, you know, Bluetooth and why, yeah, nowadays. Uh, we'll talk about that. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. I, to, I, to zoom out a little bit for a moment though, um, let me bring up the structure that, that I did yeah. learn about at GDC, but I do think it was a useful framing to come into this for. Um, there's a great slide that Sarah Thatcher was showing at GDC, basically saying, typically when you think of a branching narrative, you have like everyone starting from similar points and it gets more and more complex and everyone kind of goes off into their own directions really hard to do that well and meaningfully in an immersive experience and give everyone meaningful endings. So basically, uh, I, I saw Sarah do exactly the thing that I saw a lot in architecture school, where they say like, well, what if this is your project? And they flip it upside down. So they flipped the branching narrative structure and said, how about we try to give everyone a lot of different paths to start on? And we give them kind of like all these little meaningful, you know, uh, moments and, uh, and let's call them mini endings. And then everyone can kind of be funneled into the same, you know, major ending, but they all feel like it is part of their story and it's something that they've earned. And it does feel like a payoff to their own personal story, even though the big cl climactic finale is something that everyone is witnessing together. Right. I'm, I remember that talk as well. And you've said it so well, Alex. So basically the funneling structure, this, the funneled string of pearls that they eventually built for this was allowed us to sort of have a lot of like different varied experiences on the first day, which culminated in one major event on the last day. But on top of that, they did a really good job as well of allowing us sort of like earned finales, which is like, if you have done enough missions for a certain character, you get an additional layer on top of this ending that you get that everyone else gets at the end. That is that feels earned, and it's very private. It's just a few characters, and they've they managed to deliver that illusion so well that I was just so impressed with it. 
All right. All right. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people go into this uh, with a sense of FOMO, like, oh, I can't believe so-and-so got to have this ending or this one or this one. Um, I didn't feel that way at all. I felt yeah. like the, the experiences that I got to have were meaningful. They, they uh, culminated in something. They built upon each other. And it would have been interesting to get some of the other endings and other parts of the story. But that wasn't my story. And so, you know, I was very, very happy with the experiences I had. And I liked hearing other people talk about their stories and the journeys they had. And it felt like we were sharing this communal experience where everyone gets to have something unique that's for them. Right on. Um, briefly, while we're talking about uh, the tech side of this, I do want to shout out some of the Unreal Engine stuff, uh, the little video I have playing here. Um, I'm showing two things. I've got the screens that are on the side and then also the bridge. Uh, everyone got to have bridge training. So some experiences were things everyone got to have like bridge training and lightsaber training. And then there were more special things that only some people have to have. But this is all Unreal Engine. So what's kind of cool is these screens, you see asteroids floating by. These screens carry through all the hotel rooms. And if there are asteroids, if we're going into hyperspace, if there's a, a um, I was going to say a star cruiser, a star destroyer that's coming by, you can see all those things. So there is a world where if you're a super introvert or you're just overwhelmed by everything going on and you decide to stay in your room the whole time, you're going to get some sense of the story just by looking out your space window and seeing the different things that are happening over there. And hopefully occasionally, if you see that we're blasting into hyperspace, it gets you out of your room because you want to go find out why did we just go into hyperspace? Uh, I don't think this was part of the original itinerary, but um, the way that this used end display and connected all these different screens together for this really robust space experience was very, very impressive on a technical level. So how do you know it's Unreal Engine? Because I talked to some people who told me it was Unreal Engine. <laughs> we asked, we asked. But I think it's one of those, like, if you looked at it, you would know. Like, if you've used Unreal Engine enough, you sort of like, this, this, is, not, this is not any other engine that, 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 that's out there. Um, but everything that Alex said, I think, you know, on top of being a technical achievement, can I all the windows in your, in your hotel room. So people complain that your, your cabins don't have windows. Well, no, you have one space window. And the space windows, actually, the illusion of it being a space window is fairly well done. They use a really, really good lenticular display to sort of warp the, 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 the monitor so it looks like it's actually um, uh, a, a proper window uh, porthole out into space. Um, but it was, it was a great design device as well. Like, like what everything, everything that Alex said, like it, it forced you to sort of pay attention to what's going outside the ship, even if you're in your room, because we weren't always in space. Like we would be sometimes in like, well, in an asteroid field, we would be going through hyperspace. We would be orbiting a strange new planet. So, so it provoked you yeah. to wonder where you were. How, how, like, did you guys feel claustrophobic while you were in there? Or was this convincing enough to kind of take you away from the fact that you were in a building with no windows for multiple days. I, I, we haven't gotten to the excursion yet. Actually, we haven't gotten very far at all. So we should probably keep moving, but I, so I, I will belabor the point point to say that, you know, how about this? Like your first night on this, you know, in, in this hotel, did you, you know, were you guys getting a little stir crazy already? So, so there's a really interesting um, room called the Climate Simulator, which is basically a balcony, right? And but it simulates the 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 region uh, we're about to visit, so Batu, so basically Florida. So you could, <laughs> if you if you felt sick of your room or of the building itself, or the sarcasm, you would call it, 
uh, you just stepped into a climate simulator. And um, there are experiences there as well. The the Saja, the the, the stories, the the, the the Halcyon's versions of the Jedi, because the Jedi don't technically exist post episode eight and nine, um, which is where the timeline set. You know, you get to have interactions with them as well. So this is, yeah, this wow. eight. Uh, this is this essentially a climate simulator. It's it's a really well done balcony. Um, they had plants, uh, so so you would you wouldn't really feel, I think, at the end of the day, claustrophobic. I, I think they would they, they would they would be very cognizant of that. On top of that, you just you know the short excursion the following day, but also like you were there, just really there for two days, two nights. You know, I, I think, I think that's probably the right amount of time as well. Yeah, I remember watching the movie Ex Machina for the first time, and um, when you have. <laughs> It just occurred to me that there are two Star Wars characters starring in that movie. Um, but when you have uh, Brendan Gleeson, who goes downstairs, and Oscar Isaac showing them his room, he's like, oh, yeah, there's no windows. It's probably freaking you out. I was thinking to myself, like, I could never do that. I could never stay in, like, a basement hotel for two days, and uh, I'd go crazy. And I was thinking that, you know, five or six years ago when that movie came out. And I was so surprised how not claustrophobic at all I felt. It, the, the ship itself was spacious enough. The room felt cozy. Um, at no point did I, did I even fresh air. So everything about that was really remarkably well done. That's fair. Also, I, to keep you so... Sorry, sorry go ahead. No, no, no. <laughs> Please. Uh, no, it's just to, to keep you so busy. I, I think you just never even had the mental so space to feel claustrophobic. I think, you, I think we we're all trying to sort of like hit, all, hit, hit all these story elements we could find, hack into all the consoles we could find. So your, your, the data pad app that you had could like hack into things, open up new pathways, explore more of the ship. There's just so much to do. That I think I think I think because you're moving around that much, you never really felt like you were in one place at one time. Yeah, yeah. We a uh, little spoiler that we did get to talk um, later on with someone who was a major part of designing the experience, and uh, they told us that every five minutes there is like properly programmed increments to this whole experience. Like it's so well thought out. They know where all the actors are going to be. They know where different groups of the audience members will be. And you just feel so well taken care of the entire experience. That's what I felt was just this sense that like, I can relax. I'm on this great journey. I can't do anything wrong. Um, I can just enjoy this. Right. I think the best advice I was given going on was just like, try not to min max everything. Just, just enjoy it. Right. Like I think, I think if you go in the attitude of trying to see everything, you would actually, um, not be able to see anything because you wouldn't be able to earn sort of like the, the, the relationship points to sort of get the special endings you get at the end. Hmm. I had never heard anything about that, like climate zone or cause uh, again, one of the biggest criticisms is has always, you know, that, that I've heard of has always been like, it's a crazy amount of money to pay for, you know, this you know room and yeah the experience is cool but like is it worth it and and at the end i don't say anything at this point it's it's seeming pretty fascinating in the sense that it it, for me trying to think about this i i can't think of an experience where being stuck indoors in one space or you know one like if i was stuck in a walmart for 24 hours i'd go insane right like (laughs) yeah you know it, it I, and obviously, there's. I mean, I guess there is lots to do in a Walmart, but that's besides the point, right? That's true. I, I remember one time, and, and this is a very random story. I, I was actually on a real boat where I had to sleep overnight, and this was in like Eastern Europe, so they it, it was not like creature comforts where uh, you know it wasn't a cruise; it was a ferry. You know, to be clear, and 
when we got into our room, there were curtains and you open them up and there was no window there. Right. It was just like curtains. But I, I, I don't know. I, 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 it sounds like the feedback you're saying is that it, it, it almost didn't cross your mind at some point. Right. Or it, maybe the immersion really got you in, in that zone. I, I don't know. It's pretty fascinating to hear. Yeah. They, they really work you. They, they, they make, they, they take care of you to be clear, but they also work you like you're tired and exhausted by the end of the first night. And I, I just, I, I think my body just never caught up to feeling, you know, that space you need to feel bored or claustrophobic. But yeah. then again, that also speaks to the sort of group that we were in. Like we were bought in into, into to sort of like poking at every envelope that we could see because yeah. we were, we're nerds and designers and we wanted to make sure that we understood how the systems work. Right. And also how the narrative uh, propelled everything along. Ooh, this is a good video of lightsaber training. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was using my, uh, my Ray-Bans for a lot of this. So I didn't have to like hold a phone. I could just be doing whatever was going on and record from my eyes. So this is when we got our shields during lightsaber training. Oh. You might be yeah. wondering, shields for lightsaber training? Yes, they actually had a really good choreographed way to get everyone to sort of participate in lightsaber training, even though like a few of us could only hold a, a lightsaber at one time. Again, really, really good design, really good choreography. I think everyone had fun in this experience. Yeah. I, I just keep thinking about what a challenge something like this is to market because, you know, you can say like, oh, it's immersive theater or it's like a cruise ship. It's it's not really like a cruise ship, though, because as David just said, like, you're busy the whole time. You're not meant to just lie down and relax. You could do that, but that would be a bit of a wasted opportunity. Um, similarly, like children, uh, my understanding is a lot of people who go on cruise ships, they kind of want to let their kids kind of run wild and not you know, think about them. Um, here you really do. If you do come with children, um, you really do need to be like very actively engaged with them and doing missions with them and making sure they don't <laughs> become too disruptive. Um, cause you know, kids, especially in a world of star Wars are going to be really excited to do all sorts of things. Maybe punch a stormtrooper, which is not something they should do. <laughs> so they need right on. guidance for like how you play appropriately in this world. Right. And unlike a cruise ship, which has dedicated childcare facilities, right. this does not have that, right? So the, your, your children are with you so that there is a compromise and a trade-off that's happening where like you have, if you are a hardcore Star Wars parent and you want to get deep into it, you can't really do that because you have your children with you. So, so yeah, I think to your point, Alex, the marketing is a challenge. I don't think this wasn't ultimately a cruise ship experience. And I think that kind of hurt it because we said, yeah. We then set out expectations to, uh, of what the value would get for paying a certain amount of money for a cruise ship experience. And this is definitely not that. In some ways, it exceeds, in many ways, it exceeds its cruise ship experience. But for those who are going and expecting a cruise ship experience, they might be disappointed. It's been a while. <laughs> How was that, Alex? I never tried it. You, you, you tried it. I personally, I was a little frustrated with Space Bingo. I thought that it was impossible to um, feel like you were ever getting um, enough planets in the same sector. I sat there for 30 minutes and never had more than like two. So what you're seeing in the image is like in order to win, you needed to get one planet called out in each of the um, five or six sectors or something like that. And uh, I never felt like I was even close to winning. But there were a lot of different activities that would kind of be going on at different times of the day. Uh, there was little droid racing. The kids loved that. There was a, a certain version of Sabacc. There's a lot of different kinds of Sabacc. There was one here that was a little bit like blackjack, a little bit like poker. And um, some kids were on that all day long. There was also a Sabacc tournament, um, all sorts of things to keep people busy. Also, quick shout out in case we forget to mention it later. 
everyone gets this AI droid in their room. Oh my God. Yes. And adorable. Yeah. David, why don't you talk about this a little bit? Oh, so I forgot a droid's name already, but oh, definitely. Uh, D309 or something. D309. Like yeah, that's your memory is awesome. Um, so basically in our cabin, we have a droid concierge, right? Definitely Unreal Engine powered. So, so, so huge shout out to tech there. But they did a really good job with, on, on two fronts. Like the, 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 the speech to text, whatever, whatever they're using to sort of parse our speech is impeccable. And on the back end, like whatever they're using to process that is also pretty damn good. So it's clearly just, it's, it's not really AI, it's just branching path lines, it's a branching dialogue tree, but they have written enough content that like our first conversation with the droid, like, she was like, what, are you, what brings you to Halcyon? And we're like, adventure. And you're like, oh, adventure. Because I guess that's one of the most common words that people would say. But I would imagine if you said something else, it would pick a keyword from that as well. So anyway, this was a fantastic, fantastic C plot. I think I was telling you about Alex. Like, I think um, the conversations and the stories that D309 would tell you about um, tie in with, with the larger narrative as well. It was a great, great experience that, that I think was highly underrated. Yeah, spoiler alert, um, the First Order does eventually take over the ship and D309 is taken away and we all felt genuinely sad and upset. Crushed. Yeah, <laughs> we couldn't talk to our droid for a while. Um, real quick on the, on the droid thing, like I couldn't believe how many little things could happen here. So you could just have a regular conversation. You could go on side missions. You could have bedtime stories. Uh, I'll just mention briefly that I was told like, oh my God, we're going through like a pirate area and we need to negotiate with these pirates. Will you please help me? And I'm like, I'll do my best. And then like a pirate appears on the little hollow screen and uh, they're like, okay, we only have like 20,000 credits in bribe money. I know the pirates are going to ask for more than that. You just need to argue them down. And I go through like, oh, I mean, there's so much you can buy with these 20,000 credits. Blah, 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 blah. And it goes well. And then T309 is like, oh, Alex, thank you so much. You're so impressive. In fact, I think we need to give you a new name. You are the Impressor. And then, like, that's that just continues for the entire two days where every time I'm speaking to T309, it's like, oh, Alex, the Impressor. It's so good to see you again. <laughs> Then, um, David, what were the what were the bedtime stories we were able to hear? Man, so before we slept every night, like you know, D three O nine offered bedtime stories. So I think the first night we we got essentially a, a tale of two heroic droids, uh, captained by one very the most heroic droid in the universe, R two D two, and how he singularly with his friend C three PO uh, saved the galaxy from the evil empire. And of course, they also met uh, a certain a. Uh, moisture farmer along the way so the whole thing was basically an interpretation of the original star wars a new hope through the eyes of r2d2 and it's, it's the, the way they spun it like d2 and i was like, oh this is like a, a verbal story i heard passed down from generation to generation yeah cool. it was so good all right so, let's so see. Uh, yeah go ahead jacob i i i want to kind of step this back for for folks who are trying to relive this experience like me um so first day you get on, you have a whole lot of activities. Like g- give me the list of as, as best as you can recall, just, just the activities that you did in, in that one first day. So uh, bridge training, lightsaber training, uh, Sabak, um, saying hi to everyone, our muster, uh, being introduced to the captain and Lenka and Lieutenant Croy and the first order coming on board. Being told that there was a uh, resistance member on board 
who some of us may have gotten to spot a little bit before there was an official announcement. So if you do happen to be one of the lucky people who spots Chewbacca um, in the engine room, uh, that feels like a really cool surprise, a really cool treat. Um, there are some puzzles also in the engine room that you can solve. Uh, there's all sorts of little app things going on, little missions. Uh, um, what else, David? Oh man, I, I, you know they, they they really sort of iterate the point for you know, for you to sort of just talk to people, so whether it's other passengers or with cast members. Um, like any good immersive theater um, experience, they, they you know they're basically being, the cast members will come down and 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 full character, and they would already send you on like little missions or little things to do. Um, a lot of them are just conversations, and frankly, I think it's it's an opportunity just for the cast members to get to know who are the people who are really engaged, uh, to memorize names of people. So there's a lot of like face time, honestly, that, that, that we got out of it. Um, at, at this point in day one, like it was super, I think they would be very generous on like which pathways you could go to. So they'd be really generous. Like, you know, you could talk to Lieutenant Croy, you could talk to the resistance member, you could hang out with Chewie and help him on a secret mission. You could talk to Wraith Cole and help him and, and uncover a ploy to, 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 to do a heist. Um, there were all these story elements that are letting you unearth through the conversations with the characters. So it was, it was a lot of talking, honestly, that I really enjoyed. But I think, you know, there's a lot of, there's, you know, for, for those of us who, who probably are not that extroverted, there were a lot of app things to do as well, which would also parlay into the paths that you would go to. Gotcha. Okay. I was about to ask, like, what does introvert do on, on this, in this experience? But it sounds like maybe the, the app has a lot more than I'm expecting. Um, and, and also, I think a lot of introverts can find that this is a safe space and a place where they can kind of come out of their shell. Um, it really reminds me of, you know, what makes things like fantasy and sci-fi special in general? Because it provides this fictional environment for us to talk about key tenets of the human condition in safe ways. We can talk about genocide and rebellions and all these things in a way that is just, you know, outside of the realm of what we're dealing with in the real world, where we can cover those issues in a meaningful way under fiction. Like, I think Andor has been an incredible Star Wars series because of how well it deals with revolution and rebellion and how those things get made and all the complexities with it in an entirely fictional universe, you know, under the cover of Star Wars. So similarly, I think a really well-done immersive theater piece, uh, LARPing, anything like it, it lets people almost do these kinds of social experiments where they feel like they can take on a character or they can even be themselves a little bit more in a certain capacity because it is all within this structured, safe environment that is communal and friendly and open. And there are just enough guardrails in place that it's a little different from society. You know, they say some people love video yeah. games so much because video yeah. games give you very clear in condition and you can move on them in a way that is different from the real world, which can also be quite overwhelming. So I just think that even if you are introverted, there are a lot of opportunities here to feel much more comfortable than you might otherwise feel in the real world. Right. And, and the magic circle in this case is very yeah. clearly drawn and you can play in that. I, I just want to shout out again to the cast members who oh, yeah. deliberately help introverts come out. And there's a story I keep telling that I can, I'm not sick of telling because I'm just so impressed because the character who plays Lenka Mock basically identified a really shy young girl. She was about four or five years old, five or six maybe. And on the first day, like she was super shy. So, so she made an effort to really talk to her. And by the end of the first day, like this six-year-old who saw herself represented in, in Lankamok basically got a cruise director uniform. So it looks exactly like a small mini version of Lankamok. So cute. So cute. And I was basically running missions with her and she was no longer an, a shy introvert young girl who, was, who, who, who kept to herself. 
the character of Lincoln Mark made her somehow convinced her to come out of shell to play with along, play along with all of us. It was a, it was a, I've no doubt that her life has been, uh, since, since experience, right. So it's, it's, it's just truly magical. Just, just what, what, what immersive theater can do. Yeah, there's a level of accessibility here that is really remarkable because they are trying to make this a comfortable experience for every kind of person, us to your jerk. Like, jerks need not apply. Right. You can hear that there is like a non diegetic principal's office that you get pulled into if you're like you're actually in trouble room. experience. But as long as you are, you know, being a good person and friendly and, and, uh, and playing along the whole thing, um, if you are, are a neurodiverse person, neurodivergent, if you are someone who gets overwhelmed by certain situations easily, um, they are going to find a way to still make this work for you. We heard a story about someone who was just kind of feeling a little bit too uh, too much uh, with the experience on the second night. They stayed in their room, which was you know too bad because there was this incredible dining experience with like five courses of meals. And guess what they do with the Halcyon? They brought that person all five courses of the meals gave them the whole spiel about like what makes each one of them special. And I'm sure that person still felt taken care of. And uh, that's a level of customer service isn't even like that sells it short. It's a level of care that um, I think is, is it goes beyond what you want to see even in a, a show like this. It just teaches you how to be like a better person and a more caring person and just a better member of a community. So I'd like to think that just like what David was saying with the little girl who wanted to be Lanka so much, like there are lessons that I hope people take from an experience like this back out into the real world. And it just makes everyone a little kinder, a little sweeter, a little more caring. And uh, that's kind of the best thing that can come from something like this. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's very cool. All right. So first day, <laughs> it sounds like we've already spilled into second and third day. But like we haven't actually. No, we still haven't even gotten to the, the oh. finale of the first day, um, which was, yeah, David alluded to it a little bit earlier. But hearing that, you know, this big performer, Gaia, would be there, uh, their manager, Wraith, was going to be on board. Right, right, right. Um, Tenant Croy in the First Order was kind of throwing a wrench into all that. Like, would the performance still be able to happen? Um, but lo and behold, we do make it to uh, dinner that evening and we get these incredible meals and drinks and blue milk and green milk and bantam meat and incredible smoking cocktails. And, uh, we get to see this Gaia performance. Uh, David, what did you think of that? Oh man. Like, so Gaia, they sold her up like, as, as a galactic celebrity, like she's like, an amazing singer. And, 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 and when she showed up, Holy crap. Like this is a genuine performer, uh, yeah. who, who, who basically entertained us for like a proper show. Like this is, this is Broadway worthy singing uh, performance. And, and we had it like with our meals. It was, it was, a, it was a fantastic experience. That's cool. Wait, can we, can we see this uh, photo or, or video, whatever Alex is pulling up? I mean, I, I want to see it. I got to try to make it not glitchy. Let's see. So here's Wani. Wani is this incredible oh, yeah. animatronic. Um, oh, what do you call any music with your hands? Um, theremin? The theremin. Thank you. Like a theremin performer. And uh, guy was a total rock star. And apparently we got to hear a little bit of the story of the actual performer playing Gaia who started oh, yeah. as a bartender. And, um, the, I'm just gonna met uh, on the second day and then have a conversation with later, um, was telling us how, you know, as a bartender, they could just kind of recognize like this person is actually a star and got to see them kind of like rise through the ranks and audition for Gaia and then put on this incredible show and interact with everyone in this way that just felt like the most gracious kind of Charlotte, like exactly how you hope it would be if you meet um, someone like a Beyonce or a Taylor Swift or something like that. And it was remarkable. 
I just have to say that um, by the end of the evening, we, we, we were just like beaming because performances were amazing. Uh, we were bought into the world because we knew exactly who we wanted to talk to already. We were full because the food was was completely like, seriously, I, I just can't say this enough. Like it's some <laughs> of the best cruise ship food or nay, best sort of fine dining meals I've had. That's not a fine dining environment. Like they, they would reinterpret food um, in the Star Warsy ways. Right. So you have like, I don't know, like a blue sweet bread. And 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 you give it a, a Star Warsy name, and it would taste delicious. And it was definitely just cornbread with like <laughs> some special treatment to it. But man, it was so cool! Like I, I was really, I was a big fan of the food. Awesome. Yes. So you're sitting in this crowd, and were the performers like? This is going to be a bit of a stupid question, but was it like in English and like <laughs> everything, or were they just like how weird was it? Is what I want to know. So I, I think we all communicate in English, right? Now, Wani to Rodian. Um, so, so the performer definitely had an animatronic mask on, and and she basically whenever she spoke, it was Rodian, and we would not understand Rodian. The performer did such a good job of just gesturing and 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 moving, and 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 the expressions on the face are you have to see this. It has to be seen to be believed, but it's extremely expressive. Like this is movie quality stuff, oh, wow. right? That you would understand what she's saying so to your to answer your question nope some of the some of the folks do not, did not speak english but we still knew exactly what they were saying because it's star wars like you know like they, the same way that chewbacca like sort of waves a staff and goes Argh! you know he's not happy that sort of thing <laughs> this is a very yeah, interesting. so for for those who are listening to the podcast we're watching a clip right now and this is on the left the That's the manager cool. right the guy's manager yeah. yep yeah and what's their name on the and right? Sharing the conversation with Wani, uh, the yeah. performer, and it feels like a totally natural conversation between them, even though Wani is speaking a totally alien language. Yeah, and wearing a, a, a very obvious like headpiece mask. At the same time, I'm watching this, and it's I'm not hearing the audio. By the way, for right. those who are, are listening, I'm not hearing the audio either. But if you showed this to me, not in any galaxy. Yeah, I can tell. Do you want me to do it? Do you want me? So, does anyone know what this? Kyber crystal. No, but this is a singing stone. The singing stone that stones indigenous to the planet Rylon. Now. As legend would have it, the only way to have a singing stone is is to have Gaia, well, in our case, or any tweet bestow one upon you. Now, what so, uh, there were so many little moments that explains the history of some artifact or some moment or something that happened on the Halcyon 100 years ago. And like David said, like, it's a lot of conversation, but it's really friggin' good conversation. And you yeah. see what the performers did there. So Rafe was clearly translating for us the same way Han Solo would translate for Chewie, right? So yep. they they pulled off alien languages in our faces and we still understood everything. It's just good tradecraft. Yeah, and, and and the costumes and everything here, like they the the the, the actors and actresses in this like seem very comfortable in this role, right? Which I think also, you know, really shows in in a clip. And I, 
I, I gotta say for, for those who are listening to this episode, it's worth opening up YouTube to, to watch a few <laughs> of these clips because it, yeah. it is pretty fascinating, but they seem comfortable here. Um, okay. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. You can see just the quality of like talent that they clearly brought into this project. And it, it's a little sad, obviously to hear that they're going to close for many reasons, but for one to see such talented people who've clearly invested a lot of time into making these characters feasible. Yeah. I, I mean, so cool to see. Uh, it's We got to hear a little bit about what happens in the green room, which is, you know, even when these actors are having their time off, they are gushing to each other about all the interactions and experiences they're having with the audience members. They're saying, Oh, you have to go talk to David or you have to go talk to Dante. We just had this interaction that was like this. And all of that just helps, you know, foster this, this um, spirit where again, you just feel like these people are, are so uh, real and engaged with you. And it just makes the experience so special. And, and unlike anything, I think any of us have ever done before. They, they really do a magical job of making you feel like this is your special adventure. So they do the, they go the extra mile of remembering your name, remembering what you did with them. And I just have no idea how they did that. But by the end of the first dinner, remember like I was slipped, remember I was sort of slipped, slipped me a secret message. Yeah. With, right. And and it was just because I hung out with Wraith Cole, I think. So he was like, oh, give this to David. So like we were at, we had a separate mission that, that was just like part. Of, it's incredible. All right. It's, and, and that just reminds me as well. Like we were such fans of Wani because I think I know we're talking about Wani. Like I think at the end of the, that evening as well, like our table led on by Kevin. We were just like Wani, Wani, Wani. <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah. And it's like, again, it's in the structure of a cruise ship. Like, of course, you'd go to a cruise ship and you'd see, um, you know, a live performer. So like that all feels familiar enough. But then within this guise of like, oh, but also Lieutenant Croy's there. And how's he going to feel about this performance? And you know that there's going to be an interaction between Gaia and him. And, uh, you know, this concern that there's rebel sympathizers or resistance sympathizers on board. So there's just that like extra little level of tension that just keeps you engaged, uh, even though the the primary form of the event just a, a live you know cruise performance with a, a amazing dinner that would be enough on its own yeah so there's so, so much to about. talk about yeah there's so much to talk about we're only at the end of the first night should we should we fast forward a little bit is there gonna be a part two how do you guys want to do this because oh, i feel like I, i'm happy to keep going I, I think we yeah. could do a part two on this episode. Personally, I, I, I think there is enough content here. I, and I, look, I'm not going to stop. I got to I got to hear this story out. So we'll, we'll leave it up to the edit. But maybe maybe this is a good point to to cut to a part two where we pick this back up. I'm just going to throw that out there. I think we could do that um, real quick for what I have on screen right now. David, can you tell us what this was? This was a cool moment of um, collaboration among. The- ah, you got it. Yeah. So, so, so this was basically what they did was he slipped us a secret message, like I mentioned just now. And we were only slipped uh, one third of the secret message. I was written in ink down there. Like this is like one, two or three or three or three. So you had to go to the other tables and sort of um, piece together this message. And once you do that, the entire message is revealed and that's when um, that's when they reveal to you a story element. So um, should we get into the details about a story element here, Alex? I feel yeah, like sure. I, yeah, wait, please. wait, wait. This is the moment. This is where we're going to pause. Oh, right that's here. the moment to cut and All right. we'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. okay.